Welcome to Signs of the Times, a look at recent world events from around our kitchen table. The poet Shelley wrote that, in the rapacity that the Industrial Revolution created, people first surrendered their minds, or the capacity to reason, then their hearts, or the capacity to empathize, until all that was left of the original human equipment was the senses, or their selfish demands for gratification. This quote comes from an article we had on the Science page, way back on August 2nd, 2004. Uh, The article was entitled, Learning to be Stupid in the Culture of Cash. And it was written by an English teacher at a what she describes as a a third-tier American university. And she teaches a a world literature class. And she remarks that uh, a junior basically openly admitted, I don't read without the slightest self-consciousness, as if this was a, a perfectly normal thing for someone attending an American university. The author then continues on to describe uh, the class that this, this student is in. She writes, The novel she has trouble reading is Isabel Allende's Of Love and Shadows, set in the post-coup terror of Pinochet's junta's Nazi-style regime in Chile, 1973 to 1989. No one in the class, including the English majors, can write a focused essay of analysis, so I have to teach that. No one in the class knows where Chile is, so I make photocopies of general information from World Guide surveys. No one knows what socialism or fascism is, so I spend time writing up digestible definitions. No one knows what Plato's allegory of the cave is, and I supply it because it's impossible to understand the theme of the novel without a basic knowledge of that work, which used to be required reading a few generations ago. And no one in the class has ever heard of 11 September 1973, the CIA-sponsored coup which terminated Chile's mature democracy. There is complete shock when I supply U.S. declassified documents proving U.S. collusion with the general's coup and the assassination of elected president Salvador Allende. Well, the fact that the students were unable to find Chile on a map brings up a a video that was forwarded to us today of some Australian journalists uh, doing some man-on-the-street interviews in the United States, and they had a map of the world and they were asking people where the United States should attack next in the war on terror. And they had, uh, in some shots, they had a map where uh, Australia was labeled Iran. In other shots, uh, Australia was labeled South Korea. In one, it was France. And people would say, uh, well, I think we should uh, attack Iran next. And so they'd give them a little pin to stick in the map and the people would be there trying to find Iran on the map and finally they'd see you know Australia with Iran written on it and they'd stick it in the in Australia and if it was North Korea then they'd stick it in uh, North Korea which was really Australia so there is a serious problem with education in the United States And it's a problem that really gets to the heart of a lot of the things we talk about on the science pages because if you don't have a critical mind developed from uh, education, how are you able to to make sense of what's going on in the United States or in the world today? The Bush gang have been telling so many lies for so many years and it just seems to pass right over many people's heads. They seem to be incapable of uh, looking critically at it. There's a a very interesting work called The Underground History of American Education written by John Taylor Gatto. And in the book, he cites a national adult literacy survey that was done in 1993. And the conclusions of this 
are that 96.5% of the American population is mediocre to illiterate where deciphering print is concerned. 96.5% of Americans are incapable of reading print, of writing, of making sense of what's going on in the world around them, other than if it comes across the, the waves on Fox News with a lot of fancy graphics. This is a serious problem. Further on, Gato talks about uh, what the purpose of American education is, and he cites a book from 1918, Alexander Inglis's Principles of Secondary Education. Inglis uh, has a lecture hall named after him at Harvard University, and he was a very prominent figure at the time in American education. What is interesting is he explicitly suggests that modern industrialized compulsory schooling has its goal to make a sort of surgical incision into the prospective unity of the working class or the underclasses to divide children by subject, by age grading, by constant ranking on tests, and by a lot of other more subtle means. And he lists uh, six points that uh, go to underline this. The first is that uh, modern American schooling has an adjustive or adaptive function. Schools are to establish fixed habits of reaction to authority. This, of course, precludes critical judgment completely. It also pretty much destroys the idea that useful or interesting material should be taught. There's a second, which is the integrating function. Uh, Gatto says that this might as well be called the conformity function because its intention is to make children as alike as possible. And why is this? It's because people who conform are predictable, and this is of great use to those who wish to harness and manipulate a large labor force. The third function is a diagnostic and directive one. School is meant to determine each student's proper social role. This is done by logging evidence mathematically and anecdotally on cumulative records. It's your permanent record. The fourth is a differentiating function. Once uh, a child's social role has been diagnosed, children are to be sorted by role and trained only so far as their destination in the social machine merits. After, you have the fifth selective function. And... Uh, in this, uh, schools tag the unfit by giving them poor grades, remedial placement, and other punishments. And this sets up a social barrier between the students who have been marked this way and the students who are doing well. And so the, the classes are divided. And the final function he talks about is what he calls the propedeutic function. And... In this, this is where certain students are then selected from uh, the ones who conform, who, who meet the rules, and these are the ones who will be taken up to become the future managers. So what's interesting about this is that the American school system has been consciously formed and shaped to produce a certain kind of a product, and this product is essentially a sheep, somebody who will... Uh, listen to orders, follow orders, and unquestionably uh, do what they're told. We certainly see in the America of today where this has led. 96.5% uh, of the people can't deal with the printed word. 
you have a president who can lie uh, and not have any uh, consequences to that lying. Well, the analogy of a sheep is is very applicable and very apt for for the situation that you're talking about because I mean, if you think about sheep, uh, sheep and any kind of cattle really are, are herded by uh, by humans. Uh, they're fed and, and catered to. Their essential needs are catered to, but uh, ultimately they're used either for food or for their for their skins. And um, the thing is that sheep. Uh, Sheep go through this process day after day after day. You know, every every time shearing time comes around, every time it's time to to produce more burgers for the human population, uh, the cows do not learn. They 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 have you would think they have ample opportunity to see what what happens to them, but every time they just go straight back into the sheep dip, uh, or, or straight back into the slaughterhouse and uh, go to their their deaths. And so in 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 that. Um, I mean that doesn't bode very well for for Americans, and I suppose well I don't know if we should uh, should uh, present that as a literal uh, analogy or <laughs> something that uh, may actually occur. But um, the fact is that, uh, for example, today or well today or yesterday, that's uh, the sixth or the seventh um, of October, um, Bush uh, came out and made a speech stating that the United States and our partners have disrupted at least ten serious Al Qaeda terrorist plots since 9-11. Way to go, guys. Um, the New York Times actually uh, followed this up by saying that the listing, which was produced hastily several hours after Mrs. Mr. Bush's speech, also included some previously known cases, including the one that led to the arrest in May 2002 of Jose Padilla, who intelligence officials say was exploring the possibility of setting off a dirty bomb in American City. And it was not immediately clear whether other items on the list represented significant threats. So the fact is that Bush has come out and uh, claimed that 10 serious al-Qaeda terrorist plots have been uh, stopped since 9-11 and providing no information or no details whatsoever of, of, of those plots. And in fact, uh, the one case uh, of Jose Padilla, um, Jose Padilla has actually not, he was not actually, as it turned out, he was not... Um, uh, charged with anything, and, and in fact, he was not charged with setting off any kind of a, or, or planning to set off any kind of a dirty bomb. He was actually, um, it was alleged that he was thinking, and think about that that expression. He was alleged. It was alleged. I. It's not actually uh, clear whether it's true or not that he was thinking about conspiring to blow up some apartment blocks in the U.S. via using natural gas somehow or other. And to this day, he, well, he remains uh, imprisoned. Uh, no charges have been filed against him and no evidence has been, been produced uh, to show that any of the allegations against him are actually uh, true or anywhere near being true. And this is an American citizen who's yes. being held this yes. way. Um, just carrying on with, uh, well, interestingly, after, after that uh, claim by Bush of 10 serious al-Qaeda terrorist plots, the unfounded claim... Um, the today then, or, or uh, pretty much a day after, or, or a few hours after, um, there was another story uh, released by the by the Pentagon. Uh, they claimed that they had uh, they have a letter from uh, from Al Qaeda, from uh, specifically from written by Al Qaeda's second in command uh, uh, Al Zawahri 
um, to the Al Qaeda's leader, alleged leader in Iraq, which is Al Al Zarqi, the mythical. Uh, exactly. Yes. Uh, and this, uh, the the problem again, like the ten, uh, the claim of the ten plots that have been. Um, have been uh, stopped since 9-11. They now claim that they have a letter written from, from one al-Qaeda leader to, to another. Um, and it was actually released by the Pentagon spokesman, Brian Whitman. Uh, described the letter as written by uh, Zawa- uh, Zawahri, uh, the number two uh, al-Qaeda, allegedly, uh, who is you know, Osama bin Laden's right-hand man, written to uh, um, al-Zarqi in Iraq, um, he said that um, the United States considered the letter authentic but refused to say how, when, or where it was obtained or by whom uh, in order to protect sources and methods used, which is very interesting. They, they, they produced this letter in Arabic that no one's allowed to see, no one's allowed to know where they got it from or uh, how they procured it or how they know that it's actually um, authentic or not. They just say, we believe it's authentic. Um, he described the letter as recent, uh, but was not uh, able to give any more details. So just to make the point, um, the letter, as it's, as it's claimed uh, by the Pentagon, um, states that uh, Zawahri, that's, uh, that's uh, Al-Qaeda number two, the guy with the, the glasses, you know, he looks a bit like Mr. Magoo. Um, he says that, uh, he op- opines that the insurgents in Iraq should avoid, this is part of his strategy, the insurgents in Iraq should avoid using tactics such as bombing of mosques and slaughtering of hostages in order not to alienate the, ma- the masses. That's, that's like an amazing revelation from this grand kind of a strategist, Al-Qaeda strategist, who, who's, who's saying to, uh, this is the Al-Qaeda leader saying to, or Al-Qaeda number two, saying to his, his top man in, in, in Iraq to not kill the Iraqi people who you are allegedly fighting for. You know, don't kill your own people because that might not be a good idea. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, he continues on to say that... Uh, Zawari says that uh, they've lost many of their key leaders and that they've virtually, they virtually resigned themselves to defeat in Afghanistan and that the lines of communication and funding have been severely disrupted, which is really nice of him to say that because it just it backs up exactly what Bush is claiming has been happening in Iraq. Basically, this, this letter, allegedly from an al-Qaeda leader, is backing up everything that Bush is saying about how the war in Iraq is going, which is really nice of him to do that. You know, because, it was, very yeah, nice. And uh, the way the way Osama came in and gave the last minute campaign endorsement to uh, George Bush last year. Yeah, this is these are just these examples. are very cooperative terrorists. Yes, yes, the, you'd almost think that they were working for 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 the Bush clan, you know. But um, but that's obviously and totally that that ridiculous. Le- that that letter Such comes a ridiculous out. Idea. That that letter comes out on the same day that George Bush is talking about all the progress that's being made in Iraq. Yeah. So so you know it's just I mean you know he. Really, we must. We have to conclude that that uh, there is some kind of a, a deal going on here between the two. You know that they are they they, they have agreed to uh, to further uh, some kind of an Do you agenda. Think Karl Rove may be writing uh, no, their letters. Uh, Henry, come on now. Like you know, we're not into conspiracy theories here. Uh, that's just one of the most scurrilous conspiracy theories I've ever heard. That Karl Rove would ever concoct some kind of a fake uh, piece of propaganda. That furthered his own political agenda? No. Are you joking me? Come on. That just doesn't happen in politics. It's never happened in politics. 
you're right, Joe. I, I just don't know what I was thinking. But yeah, but so so the point is that you know um, we're just trying to highlight just how um, ridiculous the situation is getting, and uh, we're just wondering how uh, much more ridiculous it has to get. Um, you know, we still have some faith in in the American uh, population, or at least a section of them. To you know, when uh, I don't know when 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 Osama bin Laden finally appears, and you know he pulls off his beard and his turban and his his Arabic dress, and it's actually car rove underneath. We're hoping <laughs> that the American population will kind of go, "Hang on a minute, there's something not right about this picture." Um. So the thing about this is that, uh, and getting back to our discussion about about Americans being unable to really see uh, fact from fiction or, under, or see truth from lies, is uh, it, it's really perplexing, uh, and we need to find a, a solution, or maybe not a solution, but at the very least a, an explanation as to why this is the case, because Americans and the world, uh, the world population has more than enough evidence. To, to to show, to prove to them conclusively that uh, the Bush administration uh, lies quite frequently about uh, about various things, most specifically about uh, the details of, of the war on terror. And we just have to go back to the claims about, um, about Saddam and his weapons of mass destruction. Uh, at this stage, that it's pretty, pretty clear that and conclusive that they were all completely fabricated, that, that, that Bush and his cohorts, uh, Karl Rove, his... his his chief spin doctor basically just made stuff up. Um, so why would anybody, with that information that they that they make stuff up about the war in Iraq and tell blatant lies? Why would anybody now believe anything that these people say about the war in Iraq, especially when uh, the the information and the details they give are so sketchy and so so dubious, and they refuse to give any further details about any of it? I mean, it's so bloody obvious that it just beggars belief as to why anyone. Would would put any faith in it whatsoever, and really, that's uh, that. I suppose that goes. The answer to that probably goes back to what we've been discussing here about the uh, the U.S. schooling system, which is uh, that this is the problem at the at the core, or one of the problems anyway. There may be others. Henry's, Henry's going to tell us what they are. Our Scott is the the U.S. education system, uh, especially, is is rather insidious because, of course, you have the. Uh, well, the, the lower class, if you will, for, for lack of a better term, who uh, don't have access to a good education and therefore aren't able to critically analyze, uh, forget about, uh, you know, great works of literature. I mean, if, if people are unable to read a newspaper and and say, well, you know, and and think critically about it and analyze it and do their own research and, and, and be driven to, to think about it at all, and of course, you have you have this class of people who will obviously be easily hoodwinked, I suppose one could say. And then, of course, you have the quote unquote privileged class, who they have, you know, perhaps they do have the the capacity to, uh, at least in terms of literature, and they they may know where a few countries are, and you know this sort of thing. Uh, but of course, they're not going to want to to delve into. Uh, what's going on on the planet, what's going on in their own country, the war on terror, because, of course, they have privileges, and, of course, they don't want to give them up. Well, there's an so, entire educational system in the United States for the rich, the system of private schools that costs many, many, many thousands of dollars every year, not to mention 
the Ivy League universities that can cost something like twenty thousand dollars a year, and, the, and and even even the people who who don't go to the the uh, uh, sort of fancy pants universities, and and even if they aren't rich, uh, I mean, you know, you have a huge middle class. Uh, of course, it's kind of shrinking now. The the gap between you know as the U.S. economy continues to decline, the gap between the the haves and the have-nots is increasing. A point I'd like to make to our American listeners is that in most of Europe, uh, university education is funded uh, either completely or to some extent by the state, which means that higher education is open to anyone who can kind of pass the grade. Once more, we have some guests with us today. We have Erica and Dave from Hawaii. We have Chuck from British Columbia. And we have Jonathan from the UK. And we've been talking about uh, education in the US. Erica has a couple of children, and she's a certified teacher, and she's decided to go the route of homeschooling. She's also read quite a bit on the question of uh, education in the U.S., and this is one of the reasons that she decided that she wasn't going to let her kids go into school. Um, Getting back to what you were talking about um, with the sheepish aspect of the compulsory schooling, um, John Gatto makes a good point about how it's a pressure cooker for psychodrama, that children are gathered into groups by compulsion and that it creates a pecking order and um, soon malice and mockery and intimidation of the weak and envy emerge and a whole other range of nasty characteristics. And um, That kind of sounds like a Marine Corps to me. <laughs> or a microcosm of American society. No, but yeah, it does. I mean, it sounds like they just transplanted those ideas into, like... Uh, the, the the malice and mockery and all that kind of stuff that all seems like a, a real uh, central part of the way that the boot camp you know in, in in the U.S. Marine Corps which probably isn't that that different from <laughs> to some extent from some of the U.S. schools you know what I mean I think there's, uh, um, but what I found in my observation and um, I volunteered for several years without being a paid teacher and so I was in a little bit different perspective to observe what was happening with the relationship between the children and the teacher was that um, certain children are, like you said earlier, kind of chosen to succeed and the other ones just kind of fall to the wayside. And if you are a child that is creative or artistic or maybe has a little bit more uh, energy than you're automatically labeled and kind of categorized and, and placed into a certain category, and that depends on on what type of attention you get later on. And so in my own personal experience, I saw children that, that really had the potential to learn but needed a little bit different approach were kind of pushed aside to the ones that were good um, followers, that could follow directions, that could do what they were told, that kind of did what the teacher asked and didn't ask questions. And what I saw in my children was that they were were a little bit more artistic and they had different ways of learning and th- that wasn't really suited to to follow along. And so I took it upon myself to, to study that and came to the conclusion that I was doing them a disservice by allowing them to be in that environment and it was actually harming them emotionally and I needed to do something about it. Well, yeah, if more, I mean, if more... Uh 
uh, parents or uh, of um, of American children took the, that kind of a responsible uh, attitude, then certainly we might have a lot more people in the U.S. who were able to understand uh, the, the more complex uh, nature of of politics and and you know the politics essentially I say politics because it's politics that. It influences uh, all of our lives. You know what I mean? It's it's the it's the policies that are enacted that 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 essentially um, you know create and and, and mold society. Essentially, um, the trouble know. is in the the homeschooling movement. Is as I understand it, uh, a lot of the momentum behind the homeschooling movement came from Christians, and so in fact, it just becomes uh, substituting one indoctrination for another where uh, the Christian families didn't want their children to be in the public schools because it was uh, secular and God was not being taught in everything. And so they they felt the need to get their children away from this wicked environment and to protect them. But uh, what you're saying, you're you're coming from a completely different approach. Yes. um, Basically, it was, you know, we're, we're, we're all taught that you go to school to learn how to read and that seems to be the most important function, but really, that's not the function at all. Because as as we can see, the reading is diminishing more and more. It's changed from a phonics based reading system where the children learn the sounds for letters to a whole word recognition, which is basically memorization. And in Gatto's book, he talks extensively about how reading gives you a sense of personal independence, that you can formulate your own ideas, that you can question and challenge and ask questions about what's being presented. And I really feel that that's what's being eliminated. It's basically rote memorization of facts and figures and no creative divergence from that which certainly serves the needs of the elite that, that rule the country. They're making just little machines that are going to come out and be the cogs in the larger machine. Well, exactly. If you create a... If you create a what you're talking about here is uh, creating a, a, a citizenry that, that, as you say, don't have a, any independence in formulating their own views and their own uh, understanding of, of, of the world, and, um, and they're forced then just to simply uh, look to these people that they've been told are their leaders to, for for that view, for that uh, view of reality and view of uh, what's actually happening in their country and in their lives and, and, and in the world. And, um, you know, again, it gets uh, to the fundamental, the other fundamental problem is that, um, you know, you're having, you have this uh, group of people, politicians, uh, who essentially are part of political families that that carry on from generation after generation, and they uh, they are schooled in the same ways. And as we've often said in the past, um, uh, or not not so much as we have said, but the the maxim that uh, power corrupts and uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So um, it's a real uh, it's a real problem. And the other problem, of course, is in, when, when I mentioned. Uh, if there were more parents like uh, Eric in the U.S., um, then maybe things wouldn't, wouldn't be quite so bad. But the problem is that, that the, a lot of parents in the U.S. have been brought up in the same, or been brought through the same schooling system as their children are being brought through uh, now. So they see nothing wrong with it, or what, what can they say about it? You know, so it really takes a, an independent mind and, and 
and and that gets down to I suppose just a difference in uh, I don't know it's a fundamental difference in, in people I suppose. And it's also a question of economics because if you have both parents having to work to put uh, food on the table for the family, then put food on the children. You mean to put food on their children, food on the family, as as dear George so well put it, then there isn't anyone at home to be able to take care of the children and and to homeschool them. And and now, like Henry said, with the the, the religious homeschooling movement has been around for a while and now I think what's happening is is people um, are starting to realize that maybe they they could do a better job their child is not succeeding and they've tried endless tutors they've spent thousands of dollars and nothing's working and you know I, I think the initial thought is to doubt yourself that you're not able to do it that what could I teach my child but what I'm starting to see in, in my own community of creating homeschooling is that you want to question things like television. You want to question the media. You want to teach your children that young because if you don't, then they're going to fall into that same trap and they will doubt their own capabilities to question. Are there other families that you know in the area you live that are doing the homeschooling as well? Yes. Well, Hawaii is notorious for not having a very successful education system. And so out of desperation, people are pulling their children out of school. And like you mentioned, the economic aspect, some families have just learned to cope. Either they have a home business and they take, you know, essentially two to three hours a day is what it requires of working one-on-one. It's not that much time. It's just a matter of scheduling. Uh, Some parents work nights. Um, Other parents get together and they do a communal type of organization where each parent has one day out of the week and children learn to work together. And they learn that, you know, learning is is constantly happening. It doesn't just happen between 8 o'clock and 2 o'clock. It happens in every moment from working in the yard to grocery shopping to you know, take going to the doctor. It's 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 basically learning common sense and how to integrate those common daily routines into a, a learning experience. So we just want to uh, just to take the focus out of the U.S. for a minute uh, because we have Jonathan from the U.K. here, and um, you know we just want to maybe get your views on uh, on the state of of. of education in, in, in the UK and if it's in any way similar to what we've been discussing here about about the state of education in the in, in, in the US I think it's becoming increasingly uh, like America certainly with uh, uh, Tony Blair's love affair with America which is for many different reasons I think but uh, you do see a massive change uh, in education certainly because it, with Tony has always been in love with corporate America so you see in schools um, uh, a much bigger reliance on uh, advertising. Uh, textbooks are, are sort of have adverts in them with corporations. Mm. Uh, you've, you've got uh, a, a lot more emphasis on, if you like, mathematical, logical education rather than um, what you could, could be termed as holistic education. Mm. Um, the, it seems to be going backwards uh, mm. uh, there's there's no sort of emphasis on uh, uh, multiple intelligence, if you like. Uh, 
What I mean is it is it as bad as as is being stated in in the U.S. in terms of I it's, mean when some when a sixteen year old uh, kid leaves leave school are they uh, is oh, there writing you, you, and you reading can, extremely poor absolutely uh, it's still much much better in in Europe and certainly in the UK it seems to have a long way to go before it gets to the to the levels of America but you can see it creeping in you you can see this uh, uh, this corporatism creeping in certainly but but there's i would say there's there's many more years to go before you get to the to the extreme levels that we can see in America i mean it's but it would be foolish to to say that uh, Europe is whiter than white in yeah. that respect. But um, sure, I, I think uh, just as Tony Blair uh, has an agenda, it covers the education system as well. And of course, this this uh, although one maybe one of the problems is that is that um, if, if if Tony Blair or any other European uh, leader who, who say was to support Bush and was trying to get on 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 the same page as Bush, they're, they're, um, they don't have the the years of um, of preparation and, and the years of, of, of this kind of a uh, dumbing down dumbing in down, place exactly. because they're, they're kind of coming coming to it a little bit late in terms sure. of, of trying to ensure that people can't think for themselves because certainly it's, it's too late at this stage because... Um, sure, I mean, uh, the, essentially I think it's even if uh, uh, Europe was to get to the levels of America... It's still going to be fundamentally about uh, creativity and the lack of creativity that is so apparent. And, and you were talk- I think it was Henry who was talking about the, the fundamental question is, seems to be of perception. I mean, there are many different uh, types of education in, in, in England. Alternative education, for example, there's mm. the, the Steiner schools, uh, there's the summer schools, but they are, they are completely uh, uh, isolated. They're, they're for privileged uh, uh, families with a lot of money, mm. and they are little blips in mm. the system. Mm. So in in that respect, it still seems to be <coughs> attached or connected to a fundamental way we view life, how we perceive life. So in a sense, I'm very extremely sceptical as to how, how you change that perception, how you educate a child within a system as it stands. So it seems to me that, that, that there needs to be a, a huge collective change for, that, for a true education mm. to come to pass. But I, I, I certainly don't know what, how or what that might be. What about if we just like, clean the slate and start it again? Well, it certainly seems to be going that way, doesn't it? <laughs> or does well, it? Well, I, <laughs> this one's been messed up, you know what I mean? It's just like, this is like a... You know, the petri dish, dish has has gone uh, gone awry a little bit. You know, there's it's just not working. I say we dump it out and get a new one. I think Dave has a, a bumper sticker that sums this up pretty well. Uh, what was the the bumper sticker you were mentioning? So many people and so few comets. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we don't want to anticipate. You know, there may be one for each of us. Well, like you were saying too about the uh, the the financial aspect of American education is is they constantly state they need more and more money, and so the corporate world is stepping in and they are starting to produce um, curriculum. You know, McDonald's is one. You know, Johnny has five McDonald's French fries, and he eats three. How many are left? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. 
and um, you, you start to wonder where the the line is drawn you know, between selling out to make a buck and, you know, how really most children learn to read in less than 30 hours of individual instruction. So all these excess books and, you know, corporate sponsorships is is just a moneymaker. Well, you were talking before we started the show about the the question of uh, funding for uh, American education and pointing out some statistics as to the deterioration of literacy in the United States at the same time as money was being poured into the system. So it seems that money isn't really the issue. No, not at all. Does Halliburton make uh, school books? <laughs> um, back to the John Gatto's book, he he writes, um, do you think class size, teacher compensation, and school revenue have much to do with education quality? If so, the conclusion is inescapable that we are living in a golden age. From 1955 to 1991, the U.S. pupil-to-teacher ratio dropped 40%. The average salary of teachers rose 50% in real terms, and the annual expense per pupil inflation-adjusted soared 350%. What other hypothesis, then, might fit this strange data that I have about to present? And we saw, we began by talking about the survey that was done in 1993 that, once again, this figure of 96.5% of Americans that can't deal with the printed word correctly, but they're pouring all of this money into it. So there's something fundamentally wrong, and I think one of the points that, that Gato makes in his work is that, no, it's not something is fundamentally wrong. The f- system is doing exactly what it's supposed to do, exactly. and that's what's really scary because when you start looking into how it was organized, you, you go back decades and decades and decades to the beginning of the 20th century and even earlier, and you see that, that things were set up and – If you're conspiratorially minded, as some of our listeners might be, (laughs) then, uh, and you look at history, you see that there might be reasons for this, and that this was all set up in the last century just to bring us to the point where we are today. And if it wasn't, then why are we at the point that we are at today? Can someone give us a better explanation? That's then someone made it happen. Well, I suggest that you know not everyone can be a doctor or a lawyer. They have to have a working class. People have to, you know, be willing to be a janitor and be willing to work at a minimum wage job and be willing to take orders and not question. Yeah, but but um, I mean, there's there there are people um, who are who would not be happy uh, being a lawyer or working in a bank, for example, that they, uh, that there are people who dig ditches and who are happy digging ditches and they dig a very good ditch and digging ditches is an extremely important uh, job to be done. Uh, and But but obviously, you know, society kind of denigrates, you know, certain jobs and uh, marginalizes people for for carrying out certain jobs and and extols uh, the virtues of of other jobs over those. Um, But there's no reason for people in those kinds of jobs to not be able to think. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's not not about about what job you're doing. It's about your ability to 
to be able to process information and to weed out uh, blatant lies. The, the, it's the weeding out is what seems to be happening in ever uh, extreme degrees. You've got extreme capitalism um, essentially being exported around the world, the sort of McDonaldization of, of uh, the world, which is primarily stems from America, mm-hmm. let's face it. It's provided ben- benefits, but now we're, we're seeing this sort of um, essentially psychopathic foundation being being laid out throughout the world where th- before it was it was possible to, to make a living, make a living, but now it's, it's becoming um, so extreme that you have an extension of the rich and poor to ridiculous degrees. You've got a third of the planet living in poverty. Mm. Of so course, what do those people care about, about politics and about what's exactly. happening when, they're, when they're struggling to kind of keep food on the table? You know, walking 26 miles to get water mm-hmm. every day. Mm. And that happened, that happened by chance as well. No Absolutely. one made that happen either. No, 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 no. Well, you've got a choice. It was either the corrupt politicians or it was some evil dominator god. Either way, you're screwed. Or it was just the universe, you know, it was just like nature, leave out God. It was just, you know, it's just the way the world works, but, you know, still you're screwed. God plays dice. Yeah, and he loads them. With bombs. That's it for part one. We'll continue next time.